How can you be fun and loving on the outside and feel like you're dying on the inside? How can you be successful according to society and feeling depressed and anxious? How can you succeed at losing lots of weight and still be angry? What are the three levels of understanding of how the world works? Why should you care about personal development? If there is a problem, who's to blame? What is the one thing that can really impact your life? Yes, I know there's many one things, but this is very important. What is your job as a human being? What can you do to be more fun? We explore all these questions and a lot more with the one and only Jason Goldberg. We even discover his crash on a famous actor and his crash on a famous personal development guru. We dive into serious matters with his infectious humor, fun, and lightness. He talks from experience after transforming almost all aspects of his life. So ready for some dimness and some laughs? Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different life events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today I have with me, well, on the other side of the Zoom call, a true change maker who transformed most aspects of his life, his body, his mindset, his job, his mission, his way of serving. He went from a successful IT career to an award-winning transportation startup and work with NASA to being an amazing transformational coach and trainer. So he went from informational technology to transportation technology to transformational technology. He is an award-winning entrepreneur, a TEDx international speaker, a baconatarian as that's a vegetarian who still eat bacon he will tell us about that a former rapper who opened for the wu-tang clan which is a, a something that he really loves an amazing trainer transformational coach he creates destruction manuals in the forms of books and ruins podcasts with his amazing podcast his goal is not to simply give more information but instead to help people experience true transformation while having fun at the same time the list of people and company he has impacted is endless so help me help me in welcoming the jason goldberg jg to his friends <laughs> welcome jg thank you so much i need a copy of that to send to my mom because she's probably <laughs> so proud to read it oh my little boy he's so sweet he's so accomplished he's doing so many nice things in the world uh that was beautiful thing i love the information to transportation to transformation not just because it's true but also because it rhymes and then that goes into being a rapper so i that was beautiful thank you for that i got an inspiration <laughs> amazing i love it you know i've been training to speak fast you know so i've been running and talking at the same time to see if that helps <laughs> I know, I know it's funny. I used to do that though. I used to, when I was a rapper, I, because I was also very, you know, much more overweight back in the days that I rapped, it was very hard to keep my breath control on stage because I was such a big guy. So I would practice like jogging and rapping at the same time to build up my cardio. So that actually does, it works. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was doing yeah. something. <laughs> That's great. Um, I brought you, first of all, because I'm a true stalker of you, but at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> because I think the work that you do is amazing. Um, but also because you have you've created such a huge transformation in yourself and then in so many lives. And the, the title here is Change Maker's Mind. 
So I would like if you can share part of that journey and what's how do you make some of those changes? And, and I mean, there's so many questions I could ask about it, but one that I was uh, fascinated too is how you spoke about your change from being this angry, successful person <laughs> to the big change that you made. And then I was reading and listening to some of your podcasts. And one of the things you mentioned is that a credit card failure really changed your life, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was ironical. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I think, I think like, like most of us, I could probably venture to say all of us, uh, the way that we show up in the world is a direct reflection of how we were raised and how we were taught the world works. Uh, wh where else do we get our, our education of the way the world works than from our parents or from our closest friends or from our teachers or from whatever. So, you know, we're impressionable youth. We take on whatever is in our sphere and that becomes our reality. So if I was raised in a household that spoke nothing but Spanish uh, growing up, then I'm not stupid or wrong or, or a moron because I don't know how to speak French. I just was always raised with Spanish. And so mm. for me, Spanish was kind of this outside in mentality of circumstances dictate when I'm happy, circumstances dictate when I'm sad, circumstances dictate when I'm, I'm worthy, when I'm lovable. Uh, there are all these different things that were all outside things. And, and, and that was just uh, common to me. It wasn't like I thought anything was wrong with that. It's just the way it was. But when, when I believe the world works that way, where my my state of mind, my peace of mind, my happiness, my enoughness is dictated by outside things. Well, then what choice do I have when I want to be happy? I have to mold and modify and manipulate all the outside things. And so that's what I did for the first 30 years of my life. And as anybody who tries to mold and modify and manipulate everything around them will tell you it's tiring and it doesn't really work that well. So I ended up being really sad and really depressed and really uh, anxious, lots of anxiety. And I had suicidal ideation into my twenties. And this is not, again, to blame my mom or anybody else that was in my world because they were also operating off of whatever they were taught, right? It just kind of keeps yeah. filtering down. So, so for me, I, you know, like I said, the first 30 years of my life, the way that I thought the world worked was that uh, I basically had two mantras for the way I lived. Uh, my two mantras were, that's just the way I am, right? So I'm angry, I punch holes in walls, uh, I get really angry really easily, I get super irritable, I get really stressed out, um, I eat what you know, whatever the hell I want and I have no concern for my body and that's just the way I am. Like there's no changing that, it's just who I am. Yeah. So that's just the way I am was one, one mantra and the other mantra was who can I blame, right? So like whether it's my, my mom for not doing something when I was young or my partner for not doing something that I wanted her to do or my clients for being difficult in my corporate job or my bosses being too demanding or, or the people in traffic not knowing how to drive. Everybody else is an idiot but me. I'm, of course, a perfect driver and a perfect employee and a perfect <laughs> husband and a perfect everything. But, but that's, that's really what it was. It was like, who can I blame? And so the common thread with all these things that I didn't really recognize until this, this credit card thing happened was that what was missing for me wasn't um, better genetics uh, in my in my body to allow me to be healthier, and it wasn't uh, you know better conditions in the economy, and it wasn't uh, better uh, just better humans in my life. Of course, it's always great to have good humans around you, but but to think like that's the reason my life was feeling the way it was it was a sense of personal responsibility. I just wasn't taking any personal responsibility. And that's where this whole idea of self-leadership was born for me through my own transformation. And this, this credit card thing, essentially, I'll, I'll keep that story short. It's the first chapter. No, of my you can make it as long as you want. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's just really interesting. It's when I was in my, my last 
full-time corporate job, which was back in 20, uh, well, I, I left that job in 2011, but this particular day was in 2009. And I was at the height of my you know, corporate professional career. I had been in technology for the better part of 15 years, had worked my way up where I was the director of engineering and operations for this, uh, this technology consulting firm, IT consulting firm for, I had been in that company about seven years total. And we had done great things and grown the company. I was making a bunch of money, well over six figures in my 20s, like doing really well by outside accounts. And this is also the time where I was the most stressed. I mean, the most you know overworked, the most anxious, the most depressed, and just all these things that were going on in, in my world. And so one day I uh, was at work, I was sitting at my desk and I had this beautiful, beautiful office, huge wall of windows, like overlooking downtown Orlando and, and like a really nice big office. I felt really good about myself that I had, you know, 15 engineers that reported to me and, and all these great things. And I went to go make a purchase on Amazon and it got declined. My card got declined and it was like a, a 60 or $70 uh, purchase. It wasn't like, you know, thousands of dollars on Amazon. Not that I haven't spent thousands of dollars on Amazon, but, but in this particular instance, it was like 60, 70 bucks. And it got declined. And so again, because my default was anger, you know, most people, you'd probably, because you're a normal human being, would probably be like, oh, maybe I just typed the number in wrong. Let me type the number in again. Me, I'm typing the number in, but now I'm like hitting the buttons really hard because I'm upset that it's not working. Because it's if anything didn't go according to my preference, I would just blow up and be upset all the time. And so I put the number in again and it failed again. And I'm just super pissed off now, right? Because I'm like, oh, what the hell? Why isn't this working? Like, if anything doesn't go exactly according to my, my plan, I would freak out. And so I got really upset and I didn't want to call and yell at my bank while I was in my office. So I walked out of my office, I stomped out of my office and uh, kind of, you know, stomped into the lobby of the, the big office building we were in. And I called the bank and I'm mashing the zero button to get a live person because I don't want to deal with the automated crap. And I finally get a person and I start not yelling, but I was pretty close to yelling. I probably was kind of yelling. I'm just trying to be good, easy on myself. But I was like, what the hell's going on? I'm trying to make this purchase. I just logged in. I have money in the account. Why is this not working? And the person on the other side of the phone, very sweet, very kind, very calm, uh, was checking my account and said, sir, it looks like there was some potentially fraudulent activity on the account. And so we went ahead and, and shut down your card so we could investigate it. And again, that's where normal people like you would say, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you made sure that my money didn't get stolen and, and you cut the card off. But not me. I was, I was an anger, anger fanatic. So I get even more pissed. What do you mean there's fraudulent activity? Did people steal my money? Did somebody hack my account? What's going on? And so I said, what are the fraudulent charges? What do these people buy? And I'm expecting it's like, you know, bottles of Dom Perignon and being at like, you know, the, the, the Waldorf uh, uh, in, in New York City and, and just, you know, buying all these things. And he said, well, it looks like there were four uh, fast food transactions in one day in your city. And we assume somebody had stolen your card and they were testing it by making small purchases before going to make a bigger purchase. And that's when it really hit me. I got, I felt really self-judgmental and self-critical and, and shamed, really shamed because what he didn't know and that I did know is that those weren't fraudulent charges. I had literally eaten at four fast food restaurants in one day because that was one of my coping mechanisms. That was one of my soothing mechanisms to deal with my stress, to deal with my anxiety, to deal with my depression was to shove calories and grease and fat into my face because it made me feel, it made me feel whole again. And this is the time in my life where I was also at my heaviest weight. So I was 332 pounds. I had, you know, massive stuff going on. I was 40% body fat. I was just really, really unhealthy. And that okay, was the so day I say the universe cut me off. 150 kilograms and how many stones? 
Uh, 23, I think it's 23.7 <laughs> stones. Yes, I, okay. I'm, t- I, I'm international here. 150 <laughs> kilograms, 23 stone, 330 pounds. There you go. Did we miss one? Did we miss no, anything? No, I don't think I have your team working. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will get offended and say, I am in Zimbabwe <laughs> no, and you did not cover my way. So I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so, so yeah, so that was, that was the moment though. That was the moment where it's not like I didn't know that I was overweight and unhealthy before, but that was the moment for some reason where it all clicked, where the decisions I, w- I was making were so poor that something, whether it was the universe or some, some otherworldly being or just the bank doing whatever it does, said, we are going to take away your access to your own money until you start making better decisions in your life. And uh, so that was the day I really started to open up to facing what was actually going on and not my story of what I thought was going on. So you start blaming the outside and, and, and start taking responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a liberating thing. Like I I have to make sure I tell people, like a lot of times people have aha moments and the aha moment is very liberating. It's like, Oh my God, I know what to do now. My life's (laughs) going to be amazing. Like it wasn't that at all. It was like, damn, I'm, I'm doing this to myself and that sucks. And I don't know how to fix it. And I feel like fixing, it's going to be hard. I don't really want to fix it, but this sucks and this can't keep going on. Like it wasn't a happy moment, but it was a truthful moment. Okay. And how did you operate from there? Like how was, because there was a transformational process, but what are yeah. steps that you remember along the way? Yeah, I, I went through the process kicking and screaming. I, I didn't I didn't want to go through the process at all. Uh, but but what I did was, is here, listen, this is the one thing that I, I, I have very few things that I think I'm good at. Uh, one of the things that I think I'm good at is reverse engineering and understanding the way things work. And so what I noticed in that instance and kind of in the, in the days following that while I was kind of processing what had happened was that there were people in, in not just in the world at large, but in my world, like people that were very, very close to me that had been through far more traumatic stuff than I had been through. And they didn't seem to operate the same way I did, right? It's not like they had great upbringings and great families and everything given to them and they're happy. And it's like, well, I, I can't relate to you. You had a perfect upbringing. I mean, people who had stuff that I would think is like capital T trauma I don't even know how I could have possibly gotten through that. Not only did they get through it, but they seem to be much more happy in their life than I am. And so I started looking at them and reverse engineering what they did. And and one of the first things I saw that all of them did is they were all readers and they were all into personal growth. And my first thought is like personal growth means like rah, rah, you know, motivational quotes and all that stuff. And, And I was open to that being the fix. I was like, that sounds kind of dumb to me, but like, okay, if that's what works, I'll do it. And so I started reading personal growth books and, and little by little, I started being opened up to French, right? To a different language, to a different perspective that was in stark contrast to Spanish, what I had learned, but seemed like it could be a better option for where I was trying to go. And, and you also lose a lot of weight. Was that at the same time that was that the beginning of it or how, how was that for you? Yeah. So that, that was the beginning of me trying to figure out uh, several things. So the personal growth element was helping me to see the role that my that my mind or that the stories I was creating in my mind or the um, the belief that I had to soothe myself using food where that came from right it's I started recognizing like oh wait this is how it's always been like you know when my family when we're sad we eat when we're happy we eat when we celebrate we eat when we're bored we eat like mm-hmm. it was like oh this is this is a pattern right this is not this doesn't have to be this way it's a pattern so first was just that realization i always say you can't get out of bed until you wake up 
right? Mm. You try to get out of bed before you wake up, you're sleepwalking. You don't actually interact with the world, right? So, so I had to wake up first. So that was an interesting wake up call of like, oh, okay, this is something that, that all of us do in, in my family as a way to like cope with things. And it also brings us together. There's positive things too. I'm not like demonizing food and, and no. community and all that stuff, but it's when you use it, you know, in excess. So that was the first part. Second part was then saying, okay, listen, even though I know I'm not doing the right things now, I, I was by no means saying like, I don't get it. I'm eating nothing but salads every day and I'm still gaining weight. Like I, I realized I was eating stuff that it was, it was not going to be healthy for me. But I also knew that over the span of my lifetime, since I was, I mean, sincerely, since I was 15 years old and, and at this time I was in my late 20s, I had tried every diet known to man. Right. I had done Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and Sugar Busters and Atkins and all these different, all these different things. And none of them really worked for too long. And so I realized there was something that I, I, I wanted to see if there was something else I could do. And that's where I stumbled upon bariatric surgery. And so I started looking into bariatric surgery. I researched bariatric surgery and the different types for over a year. Um, and I went through all these different psychological evaluations and stuff like that to see if I was a fit and decided that was the course of action that I wanted to do. And so I had bariatric surgery. I just passed my uh, 10 year anniversary of, of having bariatric surgery last month. And, uh, and a lot of people think that, you know, surgery is some silver bullet, that surgery is like you have it and then you're just good for life. And it's not, it's, it's a tool. Um, it's, it's, it's no more helpful than having a, a screwdriver that is next to a box of Ikea furniture. It, it doesn't put the furniture together for you. You got to pick up the, I could sit there and then, come on, you can do this. It doesn't work that way. And so, visualize, and so it, yeah, yeah you just, just visualize the screwdriver doing what it's supposed to do. And, uh, and so I really had to, I had to work the tool and I was very sincere. I was very diligent. I followed all the directions that needed to be followed to the, to the letter uh, for six full months, because that they say like the first six months is, is very pivotal. It's very crucial. Um, and so I, I followed that really closely. And then I had to keep those habits going on, going forward. So I had to change my relationship to food, change my relationship to movement, um, and, and really do a lot of the inner work so that I don't go to food as my first coping mechanism. It's amazing though, because it's only 10 years and, and the Jason that I know is like happy, you know, and I, I see you so light and bringing fun everywhere you go. So for me, it's hard to picture you angry, depressed with anxiety, like a completely different person. Yeah, well, and those things are still present in my life. They're 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 not gone. I I still have moments of, of sadness. I still have moments of despair. I still have moments of, of anger. Oh, so you're human. Of, that's great. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's and, and, awesome. that, and that's and that's a huge thing. Like I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like there's a lot of people who get into personal growth. Um, they're they're looking for a reprieve from their suffering for sure, right? A lot of people are very few people are driven to personal growth because they're so happy that they want to read a bunch of books. Right? That's not usually how it works. It's usually yeah. trying to get away from suffering, right? And so I think the, the the misconception is that you win in personal growth by never having those experiences yeah. again, by becoming immune to sadness and all these other things. I am by no means immune to that whatsoever. Uh, it's a practice. The same way I didn't like take a shower in 1997 and say, okay, I'm good. I took a shower. Like I'm, 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 I should be clean for life now. It's not the way it works. And so for me, I still experience all those things. The difference now is the, the window of time uh, between when that thing hits and when I'm able to, to uh, move through it has been collapsed. And my understanding of what's going on when it happens, which is the reason that the window collapses, but my understanding of, the, of why this thing is happening when it's happened, uh, this is the, the truth. Knowing the truth of what's going on also helps me move through it much more quickly. So that, that's the difference. It's, I always say it's about navigation, not immunity.
Exactly, exactly. I, I call it the space. You have a little space where you realize what's going on and then you can process it differently and then you don't get stuck somewhere. So you have the time to say, okay, this is what's going on. And I know I interviewed JV and JV said this beautiful thing where she says you're born with a, a little tag with all the emotions that you have to go through and you have yep. to go through all of them. You just cannot choose that. There's all of them written there. <laughs> so yep. I love that because that's part of being human. That's not, you know, but it's which one dominates you. I think that's the main thing and how you, how you travel through them. That's, that's the important thing. And how yeah, and making sure that we don't mistake who we are for this bundle of emotions and bundle of thoughts and bundle of sensations and bundle of perceptions that, that flow in and out of our lives. You know, there's, there's a great, you know, the, the kind of first level of, of, of transformation. I'm actually I'm preparing a talk on this specific thing for Mercedes Benz that I'm doing next week virtually. And the first level of transformation or the first level of, I guess, experience of the mind is that outside circumstances dictate, you know, your experience. The second one is, is, a, is, a, is a much more helpful one and a fantastic stepping stone and one that if you're in level one, level two is completely life-changing. And that's understanding that your, your thoughts are what creates your feelings. You're, you're living in the feeling of your thinking, right? Without your thoughts, you wouldn't be able to feel what you feel. And so you recognize that and then you, you, know, you reframe or you, uh, you, know, you do positive affirmations or you, you, know, you, you question and you inquire into the thing to see if it's true, like all that's super helpful. And then there's a level three and level three is, is an interesting thing because level three is something where I personally have not had the experience of staying in level three for an extended period of time. I get glimpses of it. And when I get the glimpses, it's really, really powerful. And, it, and it's, it's just one step deeper than, than the level two part. And that's understanding that I can't possibly be my thoughts or my emotions to begin with. Because any emotion I've ever had, I existed before that emotion or that thought, and I existed after that emotion and that thought. So it becomes a thing of like, well, why do I need to do work on something that isn't me anyways? Why would I reframe something that's not mine? So for example, like if I, um, if I see somebody on a television show that is sad because, you know, they got in a car accident, I don't try to coach the television show to get that person to be okay with being in a car accident because it, it, it doesn't exist as a part of me. It's something completely distinct. I can watch the show and I can recognize what's going on, but I don't engage. I don't overly engage with it. And so level three is understanding that it's not about what you're thinking. It's just that you're thinking and you're mistaking who you are for the thoughts that happen to be birthed in your awareness, right? Like I am awareness. I am the entire ocean. And then these thoughts come up as waves. But then when the thoughts go away, they're like waves that crash back into the ocean, the ocean doesn't get damaged by the waves. It's part of the waves. They're all part of each other. And, I, and, and once the wave crashes back into the ocean, I can't find that wave anymore. I could point to it and say, yeah, it's, it's there in the water. And like, well, how do you know mm. it's, it's all that, the water? Exactly. And, and so that's kind of like the deeper level that I'm, I love when I get glimpses of, but, but I'm not even there yet where I stay in that place. But to me, that's the place we really want to get to ultimately. You're gonna blow their mind of these people when you tell know, them yeah, that. Yeah, I'm a little scared. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what they say. Stay with the ocean. I think that's gonna be very calming. Yes. <laughs> Stay with the ocean. <laughs> no, but I know your your ability to, like you're saying, not only reverse engineer but also express with different analogies and things. And in your book that I read, um, that has amazing exercises, and 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 I mean. Really, people should read the book. I have it right here. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you love it. <laughs> no, seriously. I think the cover doesn't make you justice. But because <laughs> there's so much insight. 
Um, but you say some exercises like uh, like the robots and, and the misunderstanding and tools that really, I think that's the key where people can make it more practical on how to, you know, how to change. But when you are in the state of not seeing, being angry, or like I say, there's two types of people, those who point outside and those who point inside, and none of them are good. Because both when you go to the extreme of both, they're both damaging. Yeah. How can you wake up? Is there a way to wake up sooner? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. I think I think it really boils down to a willingness to find the truth. Because if I go into personal growth with a motive, right, either, either I'm going to prove myself right, or I'm going to prove myself wrong, whatever that is, then I'm not setting myself up for success. But if I say, and, and I love, I have, you know, one, one teacher in, in my world in particular that I, I love that he talks about, he says, you know, uh, inquiry and, and really looking inside yourself and seeing where things come from and questioning these things, it should be something you do because it's so amazing and interesting and curious to do so, not because you're broken and you need to be fixed, mm-hmm. right? If it feels like inquiry is something you're doing because you're screwed up, then don't do it, right? But if you're truly here because you want to know the truth of, of the understanding of the way the world works, then, then you get into this stuff and you're excited to do it. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be some resistance there. And that's why it's, it's, that's why, at least for me, I try as much as possible to bring, you know, humor and levity and all these things into the equation because they do, they change things. It's, it's a psychological, uh, uh, uh science that, uh, when we have levity brought in, we have less resistance to whatever the, the, uh, the, the, the message is. So for people who are kind of resistant to it, um, well, I mean, I think if people are really resistant to it, they probably aren't seeking it out. But if you're just getting started and it feels like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't feel right and that doesn't make sense, good, uh, because that means you're doing it right. Because what will happen is the ego has been so trained to protect us, right? Yeah. That, I mean, that's all it's there for. The ego is not a bad thing. I did a whole podcast episode on this. The ego is not bad at all. The ego is not the enemy. The ego is not out to get you. But the ego has been built as a way to protect you. It's a, it's a protection mechanism for, for, good, for, for good reason. It's, it's well-intentioned. And so anytime we start diving into personal growth, anytime we are in a meditation, and, and, and I'm, I'm huge on meditation, anytime you're in a meditation and you, you try to sit for you know, three minutes or five minutes and your brain's just racing the entire time and you go, I suck at meditation. No, you don't. Your ego is afraid that you're going to abandon it. And it looks at you and says, you're taking time out just to be still and quiet and look at, oh, this doesn't look good for us. This is, guys, guys, this, <laughs> does, this doesn't look good. This is, no, 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 she's, she's, she's being quiet. She, no, I know she's always talking and thinking, but she's being quiet. And the ego gets kind of scared about that, right? Yeah. So, so if you have this experience where like, you feel like you suck at meditation or you suck at reframing or you suck at getting concepts in a book, just stick with it. Just stick with it because the ego is just trying to talk you out of doing what you know is best for you to be doing. And of all the changes, like your job, your, I mean, you've changed everything in 10 years. What do you think was the hardest of all of them? Hmm. Oh, man. I mean, they all have their own, they all have their own gifts. Uh, <laughs> there was quotes there for those. Yeah, 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 yeah. For anybody not watching this, there were air quotes around gift. Um, you know, I think I actually had, and this this may not, this is not necessarily one of the things that would be on my bio, but I, I think the thing that was probably most transformational for me, I always hesitate to say most transformational, but one of the one that's coming up for me in this moment as being a big challenge for me was going through my divorce. I feel like going through the divorce was huge because 
go, me going through my divorce and I had had, you know, I had already been an entrepreneur for years by that point. I had been an entrepreneur by that point for six years by the time that I had been divorced. And so I, I knew what that looked like and the challenges of running businesses. And I had had three companies by then. Like I got that and all that was really tough and really challenging. And I grew a lot, but the divorce was the first time that I could remember in this new period of my life, you know, since, since this whole personal growth thing infiltrated my existence, it was the first time where I really got to test all the things that I had been learning and all the things that I had been teaching. And it wasn't that I, again, I had plenty of times to test it. I had plenty of other things that happened, but that was a big one uh, because that triggered every piece of, you know, childhood wounding and, and inner stuff and everything that could possibly come up that brought it up. And so that was a really, I actually learned a ton from that. I actually learned a ton through the way the breakup started all the way through reinventing myself after the divorce. So that one was a big one for so many reasons. And that happened, like how many, did you, you already had your biotic surgery and you already were starting to change. Okay. Yeah. This was 20, 2017 is when my ex-wife and I split. Uh, so four, four years ago. And yeah, there was just, yeah. So I had been like, I had lost all the weight already. I had my coaching business. I had, you know, I had done all this inner work and I was continuing to do inner work and, and yeah, all the things. Uh, and, and that one was really the like, Hey, you, you think you have it all handled? <laughs> hold my drink. Universe says, hold my drink. Uh, and, uh, and, and it says, well, we'll see. You thought the credit card was a challenge. You got a little something better for you this time. <laughs> Yeah, I love it because you have so much humor all the time. So that's what always makes it light. <laughs> you, you have to. And like I said, yeah. it's, it's a psychological thing here. There, there was this video I just saw the other day. Did you ever watch the Tony Robbins documentary that was on Netflix? Yes. Okay. So yes. I, I'm not a huge Tony Robbins fan. I'm not against him. I just like, I, I don't resonate with his energy as much as a teacher, but mm -hmm. I love what he's done. He's, he's the reason that any of us are here doing any of this work because exactly. he really made it, you know, so mainstream. But he, I, I saw a clip that was from that. I've seen the documentary, but I, I saw a clip from the documentary of uh, this guy who, who said he was suicidal, this young guy and towards the beginning. Do you remember this one? Yeah. Yes. Very, very popular clip. And I, the, the clip resurfaced yesterday. And, and there were people who were very upset by the way Tony Robbins had handled a part of this conversation because the guy said, you know, I'm suicidal. I'm so sad. I want to kill myself. And Tony said to him, is it because of your red shoes? And the guy is like, what? He's like, no. And he's like, are you sure? Cause they're, they're effing red. They're really red. And everybody starts laughing. And then he starts laughing too. And Tony says, well, don't, no, don't laugh. You're going to screw everything up. Right. Yeah. And so there's something about humor and levity that just gets us out of the ego just long enough to be outside the illusion. The illusion comes back. The illusion is persistent as hell. Right. Yeah. I think it was Albert Einstein that said that life is, is a, a, an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Right. Yeah. The illusion will, will hit you as hard as possible, but that little crack where you get just a reprieve of smile or joy or forgetting the ridiculous illusion of seriousness that we all attach to at one point or another, that's a route to transformation. Yeah, and I see you use it, right? When you do any type of teaching, I've seen some of your teachings and there's always laugh, there's always fun, there's always... And actually you are the best guest to bring because I saw you in the Mind Valley podcast with, with uh, Vision when he had a fire alarm and he just <laughs> left. With thousands of people, I'm like, oh, he's a great, great, you know, great guest because I can just leave and he'll keep talking for an hour. And then I just had yeah, a whole show. got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Vishing got very lucky there that he, that he had me there because I'll just talk anyways. But yeah, it was hilarious. He just like, for anybody who hasn't seen it, he literally, like, we're on, we're on Zoom together. He just leaves. So it's me talking to an empty, you know, Zoom window for five <laughs> minutes or whatever it was. But it was very funny. I loved it. I was watching and I thought he just handled it like it's normal, you know? It's like, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it was so fun.
Okay, so let's continue with seriousness. <laughs> so yeah, let's get back. Yeah, this is we're having way too much fun. Let's yeah, let's be serious. <laughs> yeah. So what does change mean to you with so much change in your life? What does change mean to me? I mean, change change really to me is synonymous with with opportunity. And, and I don't mean that in like um again in like a hyper-spiritual, like everything's a gift. But like I, I really mean that. Like if if I if I want to be happy, and, and I don't always feel this way, but if I if I want to be happy, it's great when I have experiences of being happy, and when I have experiences of not feeling happy, um, then that's an opportunity for me to see what in my life still is is wanting to be released, right? And so change either equal equals opportunity, like oh cool, I'm I'm changing the direction of this thing, and that's super exciting. Or it could be changes in oh I want to change the way I view that thing, so it doesn't trigger me, or so I don't feel wounded by it, or so I don't uh, you know um, uh, attach my enoughness to it. Like so for me, change is opportunity uh, for. Uh, uncomfortable or comfortable, it's always an opportunity, which I really, I like. Sometimes it's, again, not fun to change, but there's always an opportunity there. And when you have coached a lot of people and you also have a lot of students, what do you think is, and I know this is a very big question, but what do you think is one thing that a lot of people struggle with when they face change? I, I think it actually, I, I think it's it's a big question, but I'm very clear on what the answer is. Um, I feel like just speaking about my own experience and, and thinking about all the people that I've coached and, and how much this shows up with so many people, I won't say everybody, but, but how much it shows up with so many people is this belief that there's a reality where you won't be okay, mm. right? That there's some reality where you're not going to be okay. And, and, and if we, if we didn't have that belief, like if, if we really truly knew whether it was, you know, God or the government or a friend or a family member, like if somebody signed a legal document and said, hey, no matter what, you're okay. And, and I'm gonna sign it and you're gonna sign it. Then as all these other things were happening and we lost jobs and there was divorces and there were pandemics and we got kicked out of our home, all that stuff, we'd say, yeah, this sucks. But oh yeah, I have this signed piece of paper. I'm gonna be okay. Then we would deal with it. And again, we wouldn't be happy about it. It would still suck to have to deal with that stuff, but we would know at our core that nothing about our, our coreness, our, our enoughness, our being was at risk. And so that's the biggest thing. I think the more we can understand that we truly are always going to be provided for. And believe me, this is something that I even as I say it, I am a skeptic. And I'll tell you why. Because I have a, and this is still something that I, I'm, I'm playing with and I, and I, 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 I see it and then I, I feel like I'm good with it and then it comes back again. Is that I say, well, I say to myself, well, really, if we're all gonna be okay, then how do you explain the homeless problem in Venice, right? Which is where I live. And just the mass, and of course there's homeless all over the world, but like I see it all the time, massive. You know, what about those people? And even that I have to question and say, how do I know that's not okay for them, right? How do I know that's not okay for them? And, and if I really care enough, maybe there's something I can do for them to help. And then look at that, they're being provided for by somebody who wants to make a difference because they want that person to be okay. So, so again, I, I slide back and forth in this myself, but that's, that's the truth as I feel it now is that we really truly are always going to be okay. And even when it seems like we're not okay, it's only temporary.
you should make that in like a contract, you know, when the students come in, okay, sign this piece of paper, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. I love everything, that. Everything is okay. Just sign here and believe it, you know. Yep, I love now, that. Little disclaimer, it's your fault if anything goes wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but actually, that sounds like a, like a contract to make, you know, with yourself every single day. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And and uh, you say like it's Stephen Chandler who says if there is a problem, I'm the problem. You said that you, I think you said that in a podcast. If- yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, it was mm-hmm. I learned it from him, and he got it from uh, I think it was one of his clients or something a long time ago. And it was uh, if if I'm a pro- if there's a problem, I'm the problem, and so, if I'm the problem, I'm also the solution. Exactly. So you can also say if I'm if there's a solution, I'm the solution. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's and always actually, a solution. Totally. And 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 I really think that. I kind of amended that. I, I used to always say it exactly like that, and I love that. But I kind of amended it to say, if there's a problem, my thinking is the problem. And mm-hmm. so if my thinking is the problem, then my thinking can be the solution. Because what I want to do is, is I want to be less of a problem solver. Now, now there are some, some things that need to just be problem solved, right? There are, there are legitimate things, whether it's a work thing or it's a relationship that needs to be tended to. There are things to work on. But what I want to do is I want to change my relationship to the thing so that whatever the problem is, is not problematic for me. Because if it doesn't feel problematic for me, again, if my enoughness or my okayness is not at risk, then the energy I recapture that I can then use to be creative about the problem is a much, much higher level of creativity. Which is the the self-leader that you were talking in your book instead of the prison mind. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a great analogy where you're talking about being a self-leader. Can you talk just a little bit about what that means to be a self-leader? Because I think that's an amazing concept that you share in your book. Yeah, it, and it's so funny. It's it's morphed over time as to what that actually means. So it's kind of like what I was talking about the the three levels of of you know kind of understanding how the world works. And the book was really written at the level two level, right? Of like understanding the mind, understanding that your thoughts create your reality, understanding how you can have you know better thinking and things like that, which is all super useful. And so for me, self leadership really the the way I love to talk about self leadership is really to talk about the prisoner first because that's the easy one, right? We know what it feels like to just feel like a victim, right? To feel like a prisoner. And and the reason I chose the word prisoner is because for my life, at least, whether it was being 330 pounds or, or being, uh, you know, um, uh, puppeteered by my anger and my emotions, I felt like a prisoner. I felt like I had no control over what I was doing. Like somebody would tell me when to wake up, when to take a shower, when to eat, when to go to sleep, when to work. And, and if I was upset, they'd say, shut up, get back to work. Like I just had no control over anything. And so I really recognized there that I had become a prisoner of circumstance, that I was at the whim of you know the economy or who was in the White House or the song on the radio that reminds me of my ex. And it's like everything in the world was dictating my, my, my enoughness and my experience of the world. So the, the flip side of that is that instead of being you know, led for lack of a better word, because it's not really leadership, but instead of being led or manipulated by my my belief that circumstances dictate my feelings, um, I shifted to this place where I said, well, listen, what if I took personal responsibility? What if instead of waiting for somebody to lead me, I just led myself, right? Mind, body, like soul, thoughts, emotions, everything. What if I led myself? And that's not to be confused with controlling or managing all those things, right? I'm not going to control my mind. I'm not going to control my thoughts. I'm not going to do it. That's not self-leadership. That's self-management or self-control, which is mm. okay too. But but self-leadership is much more about understanding the way the system works. And if I understand the way that the system works within myself, then it's easier for me to be a leader for myself in whatever areas of life that I want to be a leader. 
And what have you changed? Like you're saying that was written at level two. Yeah. What chapter would you add to this book at level three? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because the, 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 the thing that's changed for me the most when you're into the glimpse of level three is God, it's just, it's so funny because it's like, it doesn't negate. I, I heard somebody talking about this before. They wrote a book on something, and then five years later, you know, they felt something else entirely different, and they were like, "Oh, that! I wish I had never written that first book." But why? That was helpful for you when it was helpful for you, and, and, and it's exactly, helpful for other people. Exactly. And some people is going through that process, so they will not understand your next book, and they need to go through these books before they get to the next book. So I think exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's yeah, there's no. This is also why in spirituality and personal growth, when people say like, "Oh, that's the wrong way to approach it. You should do it this way." No, the right way is the one that resonates with you and that it, it feels like it's working. And then at some point that will work to a point where it becomes kind of second nature. And then you'll be introduced to a new thing. And that new thing, you wouldn't have been able to hear before you did the other thing before. It just doesn't, exactly. you, you can't, you can't skip those yeah, steps. Right. So exactly. the things that I'm exploring now, if somebody had introduced me to this, and in fact, they had somebody introduced me to the exact stuff that I'm, I'm studying now, uh, three or four years ago. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I've this makes no sense. This is stupid. And, and it's, I, it's a waste of time. And I let it go because I wasn't ready to hear it yet. So, so going back to your question, when, when we go into level three, the thing that changes the most is the word self in self-leadership, right? Because self-leadership at level two is uh, I am a human and I have all these emotions and these feelings and I want to work with those things. Whereas level three is, well, who's this self that I'm trying to change all these thoughts and emotions and feelings? Like, does that person actually exist? Mm -hmm. And that of course becomes a whole thing where, again, when I first saw it, I was like, what do you mean? Does this person exist? What I'm, I'm touching. <laughs> yes. I, yes, yeah. I exist. What well, this is ridiculous. What are you saying? I'm, I'm like a figment of people's imagination. So, so that's been the biggest shift is still working at the level of thoughts and emotions and feelings and all that, because that's, that's what's present for us. Right. That's like, you know, that's the, that's the food that's on the plate in front of us. It's easy for us to like manipulate that and move it around and like take a bite of it. That, that's a great place to be. Uh, and then the, the next level is to really start saying, okay, cool. That's great. And I wonder if there's something that comes before those thoughts, right? I wonder like, like, it's like if, if, um, imagine if, uh, if, um, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck uh, played uh, Batman in one of the movies, right? One of the Batman. I think it was probably one of the worst ones where people said, I was never a Batman fan. But let's just say like, he played Batman. And after he, uh, he's filming the movie and then they say cut and then they're done for the day. And he goes and sits down and he's just like, he has his hand in his head and he's just like rubbing his head. And somebody comes over and goes, what's wrong? And he goes, I, I don't know, man. I just... I really hope Gotham's going to be okay. And I just, the Joker is just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stop him. He's, he's really, he's just so vicious and malicious. And the people around are like, what is he talking about? Like he's, he, he realizes he's not actually Batman. Right. And then he's like, yeah, I don't know. And like, you know, I just, I, I have all this technology, but what if it's not enough to beat all the bad guys? And then, and then I sit down with him and I say, well, okay, cool. That's possible. But do you remember a time before you were fighting the villains in Gotham? Like, oh yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, before, and I, when I was just Bruce Wayne, yeah, of course, I remember that. And then, okay, cool. And do you remember anything before that? And you keep asking questions, and eventually he goes, oh wait, I'm Ben Affleck. And and that and and that's like that understanding, that realization, and and I learned that in a different way from a teacher, and I just love that kind of thing. Is when we remember, like, oh, I'm not all those stories. I'm not all those things. I see all those things. I've interacted with all those things, but I'm not those things then I get to be in a place of peace where I can still see all those things they are still happening. But the self that I thought I was is not 
wrapped up and intermingled with all those thoughts and stories, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, the way that I see that is that we are all in a movie and we have to be the, the main character of our movie. But what if you're the spectator of your movie and then you can decide, you know, whatever you want with that movie, even with the main character, you know, yeah. that's, that's how I see it. That, that same thing of the third level that you're talking that. about. Yeah. And, and that, that's really funny. That brings up my very favorite Marvel character of all time. Do you have any, can you guess who my favorite Marvel character is? Because he, <laughs> he mimics my personality so much. I don't want to screw it up. So you say, it. no, you get to no, I want to no, see, no, no. I want, no, no, I want no, no, you no. to say, go ahead. You can't, you can't get it wrong. You're going to be okay. Remember no matter what you're okay. <laughs> you know, we just started watching the Marvel movies because I've never yeah. watched them. So I'm, I'm like They're new great. to it. Oh um, no, I know. Okay. Do you want to guess? No. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. So my favorite Marvel character, uh, hands down is Deadpool. Okay. That's the one Deadpool that we haven't watched. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Deadpool, but that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. He's, he's irreverent. He's funny. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but here's the best thing about him. He is the, he is to me the best Marvel character, especially when it comes to personal growth, because he's the only one who knows that he's in a comic book. Right. Okay. So when you watch the movie at some point, you'll see he breaks the fourth wall and he talks to you, the person watching the movie at home, because he knows it's all bull. He yeah. knows none of it's real. So he talks to you at home and he goes, oh, isn't this crazy? All the stuff that's happening around me. And then he goes back and he fights the bad guys. So he still plays the game. He's still in the world of form. He's not like meditating in the Himalaya somewhere. <laughs> he's, he's interacting with life, but he also knows he's not. That's not real. It's, it's just a story that he's creating. And so he can play that game, but he realizes it's not who he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I really have to watch it. <laughs> it's very violent, I yeah. was, which I'm not a huge fan of violence. Yeah. But, it's, but he's so, he's such a funny, and Ryan Reynolds, I have a, such a man crush on Ryan I am 100% straight, but I have a man crush on Ryan Reynolds because <laughs> he is just incredible. Do you know him? I, I wish. I don't know. I actually am very angry at him because I don't think you should be able to be a good actor, be funny, and be attractive. I think you need to pick two of the three. So <laughs> I'm not okay that he has all three of those. That that feels threatening to I'll me. I'll let him know. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, let him know for me. T tell Double R to give me a call so we can chat. But I think women are really happy about it. So I'm sorry. I don't think he's going to change. <laughs> and he's married to like one of the most beautiful women on the planet. So he's, right. he's good either way. Yeah, yeah he's a whole package. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I want to be respectful. You still have 10 more minutes or? Sure, I have nine minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go kidding. over the time, but about two hours, so don't worry. <laughs> so what is one thing that you want to change in the world? What is one thing I want to change in the world? Or two or three, you know, you, you can pick several. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's too much work. I'm, I'm, I'm lazy. Uh, I think one thing is enough. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, God, it's such a good question. I really just want, I don't know if it's a thing I want to change, but it's a thing that I want to, I want to see be different for people uh, is I just want people to suffer less. Um, suffering sucks and we suffer a lot and uh, as humans and I suffer too. And there, there's, there's so many different ways I think that we can alleviate uh, or at least significantly reduce suffering. And I think there's part of that that's uh, inside of us. And there's part of us that is how we interact with others. And one of the things I know, I, I, what I know to be true for me, I don't know if this is true for you, and I'd love to know if it is, is that anytime something makes me emotional, I know it's something that I want to be a part of, like putting more of into the world, right? 
And, and so one of the things I noticed, I'm a big TV watcher and I just, I just started dating somebody and I don't think she likes TV. So this may be the end of the relationship before we even start, <laughs> but, but I'm a big TV watcher. And one of the things that almost always chokes me up and I'm an easy crier. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm an easy crier, like joyful stuff. I just, I cry about all the things. Welcome to my club. Yeah. Oh man. I, yeah. And, I, and I'm fine with it. I love, I feel so good after a cry. It's amazing. So, but what I love is in these like medical dramas or even in like America's Got Talent, like all these things where people really feel seen for who they are, mm. right? Where somebody feels like it's, it's dangerous for me to show this part of myself. And then they show this part of themselves and people say, I love you that you showed that part of yourself. That makes me emotional because I feel like that that's all people want. They just want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be connected with. And so I try to my best to do that with, with everybody that I meet uh, as much as humanly possible. And I would love to see that happen more and more in the world. Yeah, I, I hear you. For me, it's, I feel so intense that sometimes I'm like, okay, I need, I need like, like a little piece of cake of these this is too much of a cake <laughs> you know I yeah. cry also with everything I you know I, I laugh I cry I, I, yeah. I cry I cry you know there's all yeah. kind of cries <laughs> so sometimes it's like okay I need to breathe before I can get more of this you know I feel you I so but, feel you yeah but I think vulnerability is so valuable and and people need to hear more that's that's the reason why I did this podcast because I think when people hear the stories of other people in a way where there is a transformation, there is a process and it's just not like a how or I have to change for tomorrow. It's it's a process and they give themselves permission more to, to go through what they're going through. And I think that's important to hear everybody's stories. And I think there's so much potential in people that are still there, like hidden like a gem, you know, like you're saying they're suffering and there's like this big gold thing right there that, yeah, yeah that they, they don't permission. see. Yeah. They need, a, lot, a lot of people just need permission. And, and, and you know, they did a, they did a study uh, a few years ago. They were looking at, uh, it was a marketing company that was doing marketing analytics testing. And they were trying to figure out what are some, some of the ideas and some of the subject lines that are the most open uh, in email, emails that are sent out to lists and stuff. And one of the most open subject lines, if not the most open subject line, was simply, you are not alone. Mm. Right. Just you are not alone. Now, now some of those people probably opened it because they thought it was a UFO thing, but for everybody else that didn't think it was an alien thing, <laughs> finally, somebody's admitting that there's aliens here. Uh, but, but the other people, I think it was something about you are not alone where they're like, they feel connected, right? They want to feel connected. And so I think our, our job as humans, forget what your profession is, it's just to spend a little extra time connecting with people in your world. They don't have to be strangers, like even your, your friends, your family, like just slow down and allow people to really feel seen and heard and understood. And that gives them permission to show up more fully in other areas of their lives. Yeah, I believe that every trauma, every problem can be fixed with empathetic witness. If you mm. have someone that is a witness, empathetic, and it's not about the people that have problems searching for the solution, which yeah, we have to take self-responsibility, but it's also us learning to be an empathetic witness and, and yeah. always being able to listen with empathy. And then I think that will help a lot of people, especially those who've gone through traumas and problems. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's such a beautiful practice, whether it's in meditation or, or whatever it is to, you know, whether it's inner child work, but, but just having these conversations with ourselves and almost treating it like, you know, one thing I, I love this, this practice of pretending that you're, you know, whatever thoughts and emotions and things are going on inside you, pretending you're a parent and this is your kid that just came home from school after being bullied, right? 
what would you say to them? You wouldn't say like, I can't believe you got bullied. Why didn't you stick up for yourself? Why didn't you hit him back? You would say, oh my God, come tell me, tell me everything. Tell me what happened. Right. And you would just be that empathetic witness. Like, tell me everything. And then responding and saying, oh my gosh, that must've been so tough for you. Like, what, what can I do for you right now? What do you need from me? What do you, what do you most need from me right now? Do you need love? Do you need me to help you accept? Do you need me to, what do you, whatever you need, how can I help you right now? And that's, I, I love the empathetic witness is a beautiful phrase for it, uh, to really be that, that person for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And what is your next change? My next change is, is, is a, is a big one. Uh, it's a very big one. I have, uh, I can't, I can't talk about it. It's top secret, okay. uh, but there, there are some, there are some projects in the works right now that uh, are going to stretch me in ways that I, I can't say that I've never been stretched because I think anytime you go through massive transformation and then you get through that, you're like, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. And, but this one's the big one. So I'm sure it feels the same level of discomfort as the other ones felt, but it feels like a pretty big one. Uh, and so, uh, so that's my, my next big change. It's going to require a, a lot of me continuing to do my inner work and deepening my practice and, uh, yeah, doing all the things so that I can really show up for this, this, these new, these new projects. Nice. And can you share a little bit with us? Like, what is your spiritual practice? Like how, what do you see? What is spiritual for you and, and what is your practice? Yeah. So my practice has become, uh, the, the, the teachings that I'm following right now and the teachings that I'm, I'm practicing right now are really in the realm of non-duality, right? And so this is a lot of what we were kind of talking about with level three stuff. And so uh, meditation, I, I used to have such a, an interesting view of meditation. I, I did it for a while and then I would stop. And for me, it was always like a checkbox thing. Like everybody says, you got to sit. And so yeah. whether it's five minutes or 20 minutes, just sit and that's meditation and you check the box. And that, that's great. Like, that's a great way to get into it. Nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't until I started really realizing that the point of meditation is not to get from point A to point B, but it's to understand how to bring full presence to point A um, so that the other 23 hours and 30 minutes of the day that I'm not meditating, I'm, I'm rewiring my brain to relate differently to, to the world. And so now I do no less than 30 minutes a day of meditation. It's usually closer to an hour. Uh, I'll typically do 30 minutes right when I wake up in the morning, like a lot of time before I do anything, because you're kind of in that theta state. And so it's a great place to, to meditate. Yeah. So I'll do 30 minutes right away when I wake up, which is super, super helpful. I'll do another 20 minutes, usually midday. And then sometimes I'll do like a 10 minute before I go to bed. And so that meditation and, and continuing to, to, to read and study uh, and learn about non-duality is, is really my, my main spiritual practice right now. Nice. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, last question, but it's not like a fixed question. I just want to know how can someone very serious bring more fun and joy to their lives? So there's a lot of ways. Uh, but but what, what comes up for me is, is an understanding that, that I'd love to share with you. And it's actually a story from, uh, from Byron Katie. And you may have heard the story before. So Katie had this time, and Katie is one of my top three you know, mentors of all time. And I've been so blessed and grateful to actually spend one-on-one -on -one time with her. And she's nice. incredible. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I have a little bit of a crush on her too. She's in her seventies, <laughs> but whatever. It's just me, her and Ryan Reynolds are going to become a throuple. We're going to move to a polyamorous community. I don't together. think about it. Okay, fine, fine. Let's that forget, forget that. Yeah, forget all that. Let's get back to spirituality and seriousness. There you go. So, so, so she has this story where she's, she's walking one day kind of not really paying attention, just kind of thinking or be in her own head, not really like paying attention to the world around her. And she comes up on a, a coiled up snake 
right? And immediately her body goes into like tense mode and, and the, yeah. you know, the fight or flight happens and she starts having all these thoughts running through her head that she's gonna be bit by the snake and the venom's gonna course through her system and she's gonna drop dead here and nobody's gonna find her until her body's all rotting and decaying. And this all happened in the course of like two seconds, right? As she looks a little closer, she actually finally realizes that it's actually a piece of rope that's coiled up and it's yeah. not a snake, right? Yeah. And in that moment, she's done. There's no like going back to her therapist or her coach now and saying, well, I need to do some work around ropes because <laughs> coiled up ropes obviously are triggering my, my child wounds. and my, You don't do that, right? So the reason I love that story is because it brings up that the seriousness uh, with which we attach to our thoughts is directly going to dictate our experience of life. So while there's great things that you should do or you could do like watching more comedy or being around people that make you laugh or going to do improv or doing whatever, all that stuff are, are beautiful uh, ways to put paint on a building. But if the, if the building itself needs to be demolished because it's a completely not fit to be lived in, then the paint doesn't do a lot for too long. I wanna put the paint, but I also wanna structurally make sure the house is okay. And so me not attaching to all these thoughts so seriously is what kind of removes the weight so I can be lighter, just generally lighter. And then all those things I do on top actually stick and actually help more. So yeah, just not taking our, our thoughts so seriously. Yeah, makes sense. I think being around children also, they make it so yeah. simple. Everything is so simple. And you're like, oh, we're making it so complicated. <laughs> so. so true. God, so true. And just getting out, just, you know, I, I really, something else that happened for me a lot during COVID, which I, again, I, I downplayed uh, as kind of being more of a checkbox until COVID happened was the power of community like really finding your people. Uh, and if you're, if you're blessed enough to have people in your close proximity, like where you live, fantastic. If you're not, thank God for the internet because the yeah. people that are your people are there. They are waiting to meet you. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's so important to find that because it allows you to step out of the everyday stress and craziness of, of the way the world shows up for all of us and to just be with people that allow you to let your guard down and that really get you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Well, there's a ton more questions I will ask you, and I'm having a lot of fun, but I want to respect your time. So thank you so much, JG, for being here, for sharing You're all welcome. this knowledge, for your fun and, and light words. And I hope we can bring you back for Spanish soon. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the next one will be half Spanish, half Danish. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen for sure. And thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. It was great to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you.